Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. Got a copy of the Word. Open it up to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. It's where we have been for, for a few weeks now, centered around the Easter season, talking about the preeminence of Christ. A series entitled, Christ Above All. Today we're going to look at a handful of verses, verses 21, 22, and 23. We're going to further examine this teaching uh, that we've been undertaking. Above all means this, pre- preeminent, incomparable, absolutely supreme. It means that He's unique. There's nobody like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means. It means that He's undeniable. You know, there's some raging debate about who He is, but ultimately there is no debate. He is who He is, and we will not deny that. The Word tells us that one day kings will bow and, and give honor to the name of Jesus Christ. That all of creation's things seen and things unseen, will bear witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We see that He's unrivaled. There's nobody to challenge Him. There's no force in this universe that can dethrone Him from His position as the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to tell you, he has always been the king. He is the king right now. And beloved, he always shall be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No force in this universe can usurp his power and his position. He is above all. So this we've seen in the, in the life of the Christian. We've seen it in creation that he is above all. We've undertook the thought that he is above all. And salvation, man, in every hand's turn. We must understand that all we are, all we have, and all we ever hope to be rests on the linchpin of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a little small golf tournament going on this week. I mean, even people who don't watch golf understand there's a golf tournament going on in Augusta, Georgia this week. Not just any golf tournament. They call it the Masters for a reason because it is the preeminent golf tournament in the world. I had a great blessing and a great opportunity uh, to go down there and spend Thursday uh, walking around those grounds and watching those players play. And, man, the place was just immaculate, uh, sort of like the Grand Canyon. You can take a picture or two and, and try to explain it, but you just really can't appreciate it till you've seen it. And what a blessing for me to get to go down there. I found out it's rather costly to get in this event. I didn't pay anything. The Lord just blessed me with a, a day pass to go in there. The pass that I received was really a week-long pass, and I just had it for Thursday. So we had to meet somebody at the end of the day and give it to them because they were going to use it on Friday. It was rather like a badge. It wasn't a ticket. It was laminated and very professionally done, as the masters would do things. On the back of it, it had a little safety pin. And man, he had to display it on your person at all times to get in, to, to move around and to get out. So I just safety pinned it right to my little nice collared shirt so everybody could see that I belonged in here with all the upper echelon watching the golf tournament of golf tournament. I found out that that little week pass would, would sell on the street and people were buying and selling them right on Washington Avenue. That one little week pass you could sell for up to $5,000 for that one little week pass. I thought, boy, howdy, I may get in trouble, but I might sell this thing, right? I mean, hey, I, I might have to fight a few people over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I may sell this thing right on the sidewalk. Man, I had it pinned to my shirt. I was going by this young lady who was selling, believe it or not, lanyards 
to put these passes in so you can hang them around your neck. They had masters on them, and, and her sales technique was rather clever. As I was walking by, she said this to me. She said, Sir, do you realize that you have five, a $5,000 safety pin on your shirt right now? Do you understand that $5,000 is riding on that safety pin? That's all? I mean, against theft, against human error, against loss, you're trusting a $5,000 commodity to a safety pin? You say, did you buy one? Immediately, $6. I didn't want to bear all the weight of that. Put my badge in and hung it around my neck, man. I, I wonder if we understand. That everything, not, not just some of who we are, everything we have, everything we are, and everything we ever hope to experience hangs on one linchpin. And his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's above all, beloved. There's nothing as important as Jesus Christ, period. Not only in your life, but in the universe, there's nothing as important as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We have learned that He is Lord and above all of the Christian, of creation and of salvation. We've learned that salvation is a process, my friends. I hope you remember that. There's many things going on. More than meets the eye is happening when you say you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. There's a couplet that I use to describe salvation. It is a process that I call simply complex. It is a process that I call simply complex. For us, it's pretty simple. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, and that's what we do. But on God's end, it's a very complex undertaking. All that's involved with salvation, all the work that He does. We've looked at some things that He does for us in salvation that we could not do for ourselves. We understood already that He has rescued us. Man, He's delivered us from the very grip of sin itself, from the very grip of our enemy. Satan owned us and had a hold on our life. Sin owned us and had a hold on our life. But thanks be unto God, when I was helpless and without hope, here came the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, and He rescued me. Not only has He rescued me, He's relocated me. He's translated me, the Word says, from the kingdom of darkness into another kingdom, not just any ordinary kingdom, but the kingdom of His dearly beloved Son, the one He loves more than anything in this world. He's translated me by salvation and by the life and work of Jesus and made me a part of a heavenly kingdom, not an evil kingdom, but a kingdom of love and light. Man, praise me unto God today that my citizenship is really not in the United States of America, but my citizenship exists on record in the halls of the King of Kings in glory. He has relocated me, beloved. Thirdly, we know that He has redeemed us. One of the things that happens when we're saved is the fact that He has paid the price for our sins. Part of salvation is redemption. Part of salvation is that the price of sin has been paid. And over and over, I'm saying the word has, and I want you to take note that this is all a finished work. He has paid the price for my sin. The word says the wages of sin is what? Death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He has redeemed me, beloved. I don't have to pay the price for my sin. In reality, I never could. Thanks be unto God, He did it on my behalf. Fourthly, we see that He has relieved us. The Word tells us that we even have forgiveness. How many of y'all ever been in your life a place you just needed forgiveness? All of us have. And thanks be unto God, He has proffered us that. He has given us forgiveness. 
Today I don't have to carry the weight and the guilt of my sin any longer because he carried my sin, he carried my guilt, and he carried my shame with him to a Roman cross and there bore it on my behalf. If I bear guilt today, it's my own fault for giving in to the lies of the enemy or not responding to the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be unto God that in salvation he has relieved us today. I want you to think about this thought. Beyond that, I want to add one more thought to it. He has reconciled us. Chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 21 through 23, tells us of this wonderful, marvelous, beloved reality in our hearts and our lives. Would you read it with me? It says, and you. And I'm telling you, you ought to make that personal today. You ought to put your name in there. You ought to say, and your name, and Stacy, who was sometimes alienated. Note the power of these words, alienated. I wasn't a part of the kingdom of God. I was an alien to it. And enemies, I, I wasn't a son. I was an enemy of the kingdom of God. I was on twofold in my mind and by my wicked works. My mind betrays me. Every man, woman, and child that's born into this world is born with a sin nature in their mind. That's who they are. That's how they operate. It is what they are. It's sin. The acts of our body only bear out and betray who we really are inside. And that is sinful in our way. Paul says, understand that you were sometimes alienated and enemies of God as a result of the way you think and by the wicked actions in your life. You ought to circle in verse 21 that word were but you rightly ought to circle these two words, this couplet, yet now because it implies a great transition that has been made. Yet now he has reconciled and implies there you he has reconciled. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, verse 23, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard. Aren't you glad today that the message of the gospel is a message of hope in your life and not a message of judgment? Don't turn away from the message of hope you have heard in the gospel, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, and whereof I, Paul, am also made a minister. We see here the key word in this verse to me is reconcile. And we need to understand what that means. Reconcile means this. It means to bring into communion. It means to restore, if you will. To reconcile also means to set things right. When you're in a feud, don't you sometimes say, well, hey, I'm going to go set things right. But I'm not going to let this go by the wayside. I'm going to set things right to reconcile something, uh, to set a right or to settle. It certainly is, has a, wor a word that applies in two senses. First of those is a mathematical sense. It has a mathematical sense to it. If you do your checkbook today with any kind of software program, some of you do, most of you do probably, some of you still do it the old way probably, or some of you like me don't do it at all. I mean, I, I mean we just let it go and trust the Lord. No, I don't suggest that at all. When you get to the end of the month, there's a button on the screen that probably reads something like this. On mine, the word reconcile is on it. 
And when you get your statement from the bank, you click on that reconcile button, and it allows you to reconcile all the transactions that you made to bring them to an end and to set them to right and to restart again. Man, there's many times there's transactions there that I had forgotten to post that I didn't know I'd done. Sometimes I even get incensed about these transactions, and I accuse my dear banking system of robbing me and somebody of swindling me and posting things on my account that I didn't do. And then my old feeble mind comes to itself, and I'll find a seat or two or I'll go back to that day and I'll think to myself you know what I remember that now I really did that so there's a reason that you reconcile your bank accounts it has a mathematical sense it means to bring everything back to level and to bring everything back to right but it certainly also has what I call a relational sense and it's usually this sense that we understand the word reconcile in It's usually this sense that we understand and utilize and apply it in our lives in this relational sense. Man, we look at our own lives, we look at society around us, we understand countless books and movies have have used this theme, this theme of reconciliation to capture our hearts, to to capture our imaginations, and yea, ultimately, to capture our pocketbooks. Man, Disney Resorts, Disney has made billions of dollars on the theme of reconciliation. Why? Because it captures you, it speaks to you. I mean, their latest little movie, do you say, do you still watch them, Pastor? Oh, yes, I do. Why? I'm calling up in them man I'm just caught up in them the latest little movie Frozen what is the theme of that two sisters estranged unknowingly and separated by all these circumstances seemingly insurmountable in the end love conquers all and the relationship is reconciled and they start out on their way again happier than they've ever been and man that speaks to our hearts and life there's nothing sweeter than a story of reconciliation there's nothing really stronger that's why we use this term Man, we see the the strength of a reconciliation in our own life experiences. We have family problems. We have problems with our friends. Our relationships fail and and falter. And man, in the end, we, we find that place of reconciliation. And we understand by experience that our relationship with that person restored and renewed is stronger than it ever could have been or would have been if we hadn't have gone through that patch and that test in our life. And this word speaks to us because of these truths. It also speaks to us because of the spiritual nature of reconciliation. The fact that we love these things. The fact that we'll go to the movies and spend countless dollars. The fact that we see them in our own life experience betrays our spiritual need, I believe, beloved. For all of us understand that we need a reconciliation with a God somewhere. Every man, woman, and child has a witness in their spirit. Romans chapter 1 tells us that there is a general revelation to every human being who's ever drawn breath that there is a God and that they need Him. And there's something in us that understands that we don't have Him personally in our life, and it draws us to that spiritual reconciliation that we need. Even before we know it, we understand that we're lacking something in relation to our Heavenly Father. And it draws us to this place of of the power of reconciliation. I talked about movies. There's one that I remember in 1984 is when it came out. Now, in the first service, I I know there were people in there that weren't even alive in 1984. I I know there's probably people in here who were scarcely alive in 1984. So I don't expect you all to remember it as well as I do. It was about a young lady. It was played by Drew Barrymore. She was a young child. And the plot of this movie was that she sued her parents for divorce. 
She cited this reason. She cited irreconcilable differences. And that was the title of the movie. And the whole plot was the truth around the fact that they had abandoned their daughter and their own selfishness and their own problems between each other. And they had allowed a nanny to raise her. And she came to the place where she could not accept this from her mom and dad. And she sued for divorce for her, from her parents, saying, we'll never be able to cross the chasm that exists between us. And what Paul is teaching us and reminding us of, rightly so this morning, he says, every one of you, let me tell you what you were. You were aliens. You had no part in the kingdom of God. You were strangers. He says in another book, outside the promises that the covenant of God would bring you. He says that you're wicked in your mind and in the way that you conduct your life. And as a result, you're separated irreconcilably from the God of this universe. I stood in a place where I could do nothing about the differences that existed between me and my heavenly Father. And yea, even in a sense, God himself stood in a place as the head of this universe. How many of y'all know God is holy thrice? Holy, 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 pure and spotless is he. And it's beyond his ability to allow sin to walk into his presence without it being completely consumed and destroyed to the uttermost. And here we stand with a God looking at us saying, I don't understand. I cannot reconcile the differences between me and those people. And here we stand uh, as a people looking up to God and saying, there's nothing I can do to ever approach the hem of His garment. To ever have a relationship with Him is beyond me. And we stood of a place of irreconcilable differences. But thanks be unto God for the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Through His life and His work, He says, now... You have been reconciled through his body and his death on the cross. And one of the benefits of salvation is those irreconcilable differences don't exist anymore. Man, today, thanks be unto God in salvation, I was reconciled unto Him. I know Him in the most complete and intimate way possible. There is no more distance between He and I. There is no more enmity between He and I. There's no more separation between He and I. We are closer than close. The Word tells me that, yea, I am in Him, and yea, He is in me. I'm not separated from Him anymore. I call him father and he calls me son I am ever in his presence I have all of his attention I have all of his affection and I have all of his affluence at work on my behalf and in my life today I'm no longer an alien I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God today I'm no longer at an enemy of the cross I'm a son of the king of the kings and lord of lords I'm no longer wicked but I'm righteous and clean and made so by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He says, you yet now have been reconciled. Thanks be unto God for this truth, this marvelous truth, that today a relational change has happened between he and I. Three things today of note about this relational change of reconciliation. Number one, I want you to note the agent of our reconciliation. I've already alluded to it a bit, but I want to kind of tarry on it for just a minute. The last three words of verse 21 read this way. Hath he reconciled? Hath he reconciled? 
Let me just tell you this. Apart from the life and the work of Jesus Christ, you and I have no hope of ever having a relationship with him. None. There's no other way to come at it. Apart from Jesus, we're without any hope of being reconciled unto him. Thanks be unto God. He restored and settled our relationship with God. And I want you to note this. It was a one-way reconciliation. He did it all. I was spending some time with some people uh, just not long ago. People I just met. and Man, he was a fine deacon in his church. and he, His wife was just a fine lady. They fed me a, a fine meal. Man, I'm talking about uh, beef tips over rice. Can anybody say glory to God? You know you're in the house of a Baptist. When she brings out beef tips over rice, and she said, I knew you was a preacher, so I made you some fried chicken. How I many y'all? Hey, so I had beef tips over rice and some, some fried chicken and some green beans, and she even had broccoli. I ate that not to hurt her feelings. I mean, no, I'm just kidding you. It was all good. Beloved, I had it every bit, and some bread. Man, we ate like no tomorrow. She brought me out some strawberries. This is not about food. I don't know how I got there. At any rate, we were over that table eating our strawberry shortcake, and we began to talk about church and our, our backgrounds. And somehow, we got on ministry faux pas. And you've never stood in a pulpit very long at all till you understand that sometimes what's coming out of your mouth is not what's going on in your head. I mean, you really have it. I, I, you, you're not going to be there long till you're thinking one thing and your mouth is saying another. And you can hear it and understand, did I just say that? That's not what I meant. And people will come up to you afterwards and say, uh, Pastor, did you really understand what you said? And I said, no, I didn't say that. And I'll go check the tapes and, and sure he's shooting. That's exactly what I said, whether, whether I meant to or not. I, I used to give my daddy such a hard time. Uh, he was preaching on one Sunday morning about Paul being shipwrecked on the island and his name for it was the island of Mylanta. How many of y'all here? Hey, he kept saying that. Over in the island of Mylanta. And if I were to tell him today, he was saying that. He'd say, no, I never said that, son. That's not why. But he did over and over. And I've been there and done it myself. This guy was sharing about a story about his, uh, his, one of his pastors in the past. He said, we just finished up a, a brand new children's wing, and we're trying to, to dedicate this children's wing. And the pastor was giving us a, a, a vigorous challenge to support the children's ministry of the church. And even if we didn't have children in there, that it was our responsibility as a church to, to stand behind them. And he started trying to make it really personal. And he said he made this statement with his fist pounding on the pulpit. He said, I, I don't know if you understand this or not, congregation, but I am personally responsible for every child in this church right here. That's what he said. And as they roared in laughter, he couldn't understand what he just said until somebody shared it with him a little bit later. And he said, oh, my soul in the morning. I mean, what's going to come out in the community? The pastor, personally responsible for every kid at the church. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is personally responsible. He is personally responsible for every child that's born into the kingdom of an almighty God. You see, it's he that has reconciled us. There is no deliberation table in the kingdom of heaven where you can go down and sit with God and say, hey, I'll give you this if you'll allow me to slide on that. And, and you've got to consider I did this in my life. And you've got to consider these good things in my life and, and weigh them against the bad and kind of deliberate your way into a relationship with God. It'll never work. There's no way that you can sit down and talk with enough lawyers and, and, and court-appointed mediators to be able to, to establish a relationship by debate with, with the King of Kings. 
The only way you'll ever have it is to come to the foot of a Roman cross and there receive the life, the death, and the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf. Paul said you have been reconciled through the death of Jesus, through His broken body on the cross. That has brought you into reconciliation with the Heavenly Father. You see, Jesus became an enemy of the Father so that you and I might become sons and daughters. You see, Jesus renounced His citizenship so that we might not be aliens any longer and we might be part of the citizenship of God. Jesus laid aside His righteousness and took upon Him the sin of the world so that we might be declared clean and right before God and be established in a reconciled position, restored and in harmony with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Beloved, don't you ever forget the agent of your reconciliation. It's not religion. It's never going to happen by way of the church. It's not about your pastor. It's not about your money. It's not about your commitment. It's not about your dedication. It's not about your education. It's not even about anything in the world you own or can give. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, His burial, and His resurrection. He alone is the agent of reconciliation, beloved. He's above all in salvation. He's the linchpin of it. How many of y'all can say you're reconciled unto God today that you have a personal relationship with the King? Let me tell you how you got it. You got it because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and nothing else. Second thing I want you to see, not only agent of our reconciliation, secondly, I want you to see the aim of our reconciliation. Why did he do it? Why would he have bothered? What was the big deal? I mean, what caused him to, to leave heaven? What caused him to, to come to earth? What is the reason that he came and lived and died and, and rose again? Why, why would he bother to reconcile us? I'm going to give you a truth today. God always has a reason. There's not one action of God that is not particularly aimed. And he can take things in your life that are broken and fallen down and things even you've caused in your life. And he can use them to accomplish his aim and his purpose in your life. God always has a reason. It's good to ask why. Sometimes we won't ever get the answer, but reasons are important. In the realm of missions, I have people come to me all the time, and they'll say, Pastor, why, why do we bother with this? I mean, uh, right here's our place, and right here's our thing. Why, why do we bother? I mean, this church is right here, and we're ministering to people. And Why do we bother to go outside the walls? Why do we, why do, we do this? Pastor, why do we go to the schools and feed people? Pastor, why do we, why do we set up in, in, in areas and work in people's houses? Why do we build handicap ramps? Why do we deliver firewood? Why do we bother with all this stuff? Why do we travel to Vermont? Why do we spend money? Why do we go to Perry County? Why do we go to Honduras? Well, we, you know, we went to Perry County last week, and you ask yourself why, and some people didn't. Why bother to go all the way down there? Why travel? Why plan? Why pay all that money? Why, why to go to all those things? Why work on people's houses? Why do you find yourself refurbishing a classroom? Why do you build on a church down there? Why do we throw a block party? Why do we cook all the hot dogs? Why do we have inflatables? Why do we do all these things? Well, there's a whole lot of reasons in my mind that I can give you, especially about this particular trip. The first thing that leaps to 
to my mind is there's good catfish down there. I mean, hey, I'm telling you, I found a restaurant down there had the greatest catfish and macaroni and cheese you ever seen in your life. Now, that's a good reason, but it's not really the reason why we go. How about the fellowship? Some people cite that. They've been laboring together with your brothers and sisters. What a reward that brings you. And it does bless you to go. The reward of the going. There's a great reason. That's the reward in it. Yes, I guess that's all good. But really, the reason that you ever go and the reason that you ever do anything, well, is number one, because God said so. He said, go into all the world, not just a little bit of it. He said, wherever you can get to, wherever I lead you, in a moment to go, you ought to go there, and you ought to share the good gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with folk. First good reason is you ought to go. And I'm telling you, if God says don't go somewhere, you ought to have the wherewithal not to go. Whether you want to or not, you ought to have the wherewithal just to stay home and do what it is He leads you to do. If God tells you to go to Perry County, the only choice you've really got is to get in the trucks and drive down there. That's a good reason to go. The second reason is very experiential. The second reason is what happened on Wednesday night down there. Man, we had a youth rally. We had four churches and some of the neighborhood young people come and join together on Wednesday night. Our youth praise band led worship down there. It was dynamic. Uh, the house had only young people in it. The old folks, it was too loud for them. I was over in the back till the invitation. I wasn't. I'm just kidding. It was rather loud, though. I mean, the young people enjoying it and worshiping. Uh, Adam, your student pastor, stood up and brought a, a very powerful message. And, man, I'm going to tell you why I went down there. I got to walk out on the front porch of that church and talk to a young man who had given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ totally and completely. He had hung blinds with me in a middle school all afternoon, and that night there he was in a church house giving his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you bother to go? I'll tell you why. Because there's some out there that are precious to the Lord, that are currently aliens to the kingdom of God, and if we'll go, he'll bless it. And all of a sudden, they'll be transformed into citizens of the kingdom of God. There are those who are wicked in all their ways and bear the weight and the guilt of that in a moment God will forgive them and birth them into the kingdom of God and they'll have a hope that waxes not away why do you go that's why you go beloved and when we look around and we say hey why did Jesus come why did he go he didn't have to he could have looked around heaven and said, no, that's too hard of a job, Father, and that's too far to go to bother with. They're not worth it anyway. They made their own bed. Just let them lay in it. I'm perfectly right, and I'm perfectly just just to sit here. But God himself looked out of heaven and saw those irreconcilable differences, and he said, I cannot stand this, and I cannot allow this to be. Who can we send, and who will go for us? And Jesus said, I will go for the single solitary reason that I love them and that I want them and my desire is to make a gift of them unto myself and one day present them to myself holy the word says unblameable the word says and irreproachable the word says in my very presence that's why he came and did it you know why he came because he looked out of heaven and he looked at me a little kid born in Asheville North Carolina in 1968 and he said I want him for myself he looked and he saw Randy and he said I want Randy for myself I want to make of him a gift that I can present to myself that'll be perfect and holy and give me glory and joy throughout all eternity 
He looked at Jim and he said, I'm going to go. Why? Because I want Jim for myself. And I'm going to make... Look, he looked at you. And he looked at you. And he looked at you. And what drove him from the kingdom of heaven and what caused him to give his life was his desire to present you, the word says, unto himself. That was his aim all along that he might have us precious to him throughout all eternity. And man, when the enemy begins to tell you in your life that you're not worth anything today, you remind him that heaven gave its very best. It thought you that valuable to reconcile you unto itself, to make things right between you and God once and for all, and yea, through all eternity. I don't know of a better reason in the world that brings me more joy than the truth that God loved me. Had a brother that used to sing a song, and if he were here, I'd ask him to sing it. The words of it were this The best thing I can tell you is that God loves you. And his aim all along. Why'd he do it, Pastor? Why'd he come? He did it so that you could be reconciled unto him throughout all eternity. Beloved, what others think about you ought not matter. In the scope of eternity. What I look like to him matters most. And by way of Jesus Christ, I look precious to him. And perfect. And I'll be with him throughout all eternity. In closing, I want you to see not only the agent and uh, not only the, the aim. Why did he do it? I want you to see the application of reconciliation. In verse 23, I'm closing. Paul gives us what I call, and I'm going to sum this up for you. Just a clarion call to live that way on this planet. What good does it do me to enter into a marriage relationship and never spend any time in it? What good does it do me to plan? And what good does it do anybody to plan for six, eight months, spend all the money that you spend, Call your family and your friends together. Walk the aisle. Commit to one another. Go to a reception. Take up a household only just to, to neglect and leave to the wayside that great relationship that you have. What good does that do? When you begin to disengage from your marriage relationship, you know what you do? You begin to annul every benefit that it brings into your life. And what Paul is saying is ultimately this is God's aim. Now what do we do with that? We have a reconciliation, a reconciled relationship to God. We stand before Him completely uh, free and completely personally related to Him. What do we do with that? What Paul's saying is you, this is what you do. You get up every day and you continue in that gospel that you heard. You get up in, every day and you live in such a way as to bring glory and honor and praise to the one who loved you enough to die for you. He's saying here, little church, live in such a way. Why? Because to disengage from your relationship with God begins to annul its every benefit in your life. How many of y'all today could say that your reconciled position before God has brought you any benefit on this planet? Hey, man, it's brought me some eternal benefits. I know that. But I'm here to tell you, a reconciled relationship with God brings me much benefit in this life right here. I want you to take a minute. Maybe you're a note taker. Maybe you're not. Maybe you just need to do this in your mind. If you're a note taker, I want you to write down three benefits of a reconciled relationship with God. Just three of them. I mean, if I allowed you time, you could fill up book after book of, of the benefits of being re reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ just in this life alone. But just think of two or three things. 
Man, think of what it means to have a peace that passes all understanding. Think of what it means that in any circumstance of life, whether it's a a jubilant time of joy, or whether it's a time of great trial that you don't even understand, or whether it's anything in between, think of the benefit to have the peace of God that passes all understanding that's at work in your life. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the linchpin of it. It's a benefit of being related to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. What about hope today? Man, the fact that I have hope that things are going to be better, and things are going to get better, in spite of all the circumstances in spite of all the voices in my life listen I'm related to the king of this universe and that gives me great hope not only in that life to come but in this life right now what about purpose I thought about that what about the fact that when I wake up in the morning I'm not just breathing in and breathing out and going through the motions what about the fact that the Lord of this universe orders my steps and that he's got me here to do something and whatever that something is is of paramount importance to him and a paramount concern to the kingdom of God and that everything I do means something when I walk and live and breathe and have my being. Man, I begin to think about his power. What about the benefit of having the power of the Holy Spirit of God living in you and on you because of your reconciled state to the Lord Jesus Christ? What about the fact that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? What about the fact that there is no weapon that's formed against you that shall prosper because of your relationship to him? What about the the power of God that just rests in you, lives in you, and works through you and on your behalf. And all the time I thought about this, and maybe this is most precious to my soul. What about the joy of the Lord? What about the great benefit of the joy of the Lord, which is what? Our strength in this life. Man, what about just laughter? What about just the, the, those moments where you can laugh beyond measure? I was in the grocery store with a handful of uh, friends of mine not too long ago, and, and we just got to cutting up and having the time of our life right in the grocery store. We went to check out. The checkout lady was carrying on with us. We were just laughing, having the time of our life. The little bagger got involved. He asked, man, have y'all already been by the alcohol aisle? Man, alive. I said, no, we ain't been by the alcohol aisle. The truth of it was we've been by the aisle of the Holy Spirit, of the living God. And he lived in us, and man, the fact of his joy and blessing in our life was more than we could take, and it was just bubbling over us and and through us. And man, what a thought. He recounted to me the scripture, laughter, he said, is a medicine for the soul. And I said, brother, that is the word of the living God that has brought us this joy that you see right here this day. Man, what of the benefits of being reconciled unto God in this life? Let me tell you what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, when you cease to live daily in pursuit of the one who loved you so, and according to the gospel, that has sought you and bought you, you begin to disconnect yourself from all those benefits that belong to you because of Jesus. He's not saying, I want you to hear this, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. He's not saying you can be saved and lost again. That is not what he's saying. But he's saying, man, the journey won't mean a whole lot to you at all. When you get to that day that I'm going to present you to myself, you're going to look back and you're going to say, wow, God, didn't I waste a whole lot of time being able to bless you and knowing you. He gives us a challenge here. He says, man, apply this. Don't neglect it in your life. Let the full benefit of it lose. Christ is preeminent. Above all, there's a lot going on in salvation. He's rescued you. 
He's relocated you. Praise be unto God. You're part of the kingdom of His dearly beloved Son. He's redeemed you. He's relieved you. And beloved, He has reconciled you. How many of y'all could truthfully say in your heart today, Pastor, I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He brought that about. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.